for our kids' crew worship time. They'll meet here at the front and then make their way upstairs this morning to our kids' crew room. We're going to look at a passage in John this morning that uh, will be very familiar to you, I believe, even if you didn't realize it. Now, you may, as soon as I said the words John chapter 14, for many of you, your, your minds jumped immediately to this text because I, I believe you, you know it by heart, you, you're very familiar with it. And yet, I hope this morning as we study this to, to draw out uh, the, the depth of what's here, the understanding for us of how we should live in light of this, that, that it wouldn't be so familiar to us that we, that we miss the, the very plain and yet profound truth that is in front of us as we look together into this passage of Scripture this morning. I want you to think for just a minute about your dream house, okay? You know, some years ago, there was a really popular show on TV uh, that was called Cribs, and the whole idea was that they would go into, they would go into the homes of people who were famous. And even before that, there was, there was uh, it was really just a recontextualized version of the even older and popular TV show, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, which would show off all of the stuff that you could never hope to have, right? Just the opulence of wealth, the, the grandness of these homes, the, the things that, they, that, that people might have, the, the, the different appointments that they would have, or the, just the, uh, the, the expensive taste and the way that it would be shown off in the dwelling places of people. And, and the whole idea of those shows, what made them so popular was that people would look at that and it would, it would make them dream. What if? What if the sky were the limit? What if money were no object? What if we could live anywhere? What if we could have anything? What would, how great would it be to be rich and famous and have it all and, and, and never want for anything, right? That's kind of the, the idea. That was the, the, the whole idea behind these shows. Show off all of the, the extravagance of wealth and all that a person could hope for. When many people think about this particular passage of Scripture, John chapter 14, they think about Jesus' words here, and they think about the vast wealth of heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the, the King James Version, which in many ways was a derivative of some, the forerunners, particularly Tyndall's Bible. Tyndall was one of the early English translators. And, and the English translation, the King James translation, which was influenced in many ways by Tyndall's translation, used the word mansions in this passage. In my father's house are many mansions. And so we think about heaven and we think about the mansions of heaven. We think about the streets of gold of heaven and the vast wealth and the riches that are in store for us someday. And yet, when we think along those lines, honestly, if we, if we aren't careful, then we easily stray into this idea that following Jesus affords us great wealth and great luxury, even if not in this life, then someday in the day to come that we, even if we don't experience the fullness of that reward or of that great mansion in this life, someday in heaven, there is waiting for me a great mansion, a great 
house, streets of gold and the richness of luxury. And that's missing the point entirely of what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this passage. In fact, where we get this whole idea, the reason that Tyndall used that word and that that the King James used the word mansions is it is a derivative of the Greek word that in this passage. And so in this passage where you have, in my father's house are many rooms, the word translated by the ESV as rooms is the Greek word monoi. M-O-N-A-I would be the transliteration of that. And so Manai is the, is the idea of a dwelling place. Now, the plural form of that Greek word would have been the word manain, manain, which kind of sounds like the word mansion, doesn't it? Because when the, when the Latins took that word, they borrowed from the Greek, and so the Latin word for this Greek word was essentially our word mansion, the word that we would use for mansion. And so when they translated from the, the Latin, which the, the earliest English translations were based on Jerome, a gentleman named Jerome, his translation, which we call today the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate or the authorized text. And so the Latin used the word mansion there because it was essentially borrowing from the Greek. And so that's where we get this idea of mansion. But it was never intended, Jesus is never intending here to tell his disciples that if you just serve me someday, there's going to be a great big house waiting for you on the other side of heaven. What Jesus is telling them is that I'm going to make a place for you, a dwelling place. That's literally what the word manai means, is it's talking about a dwelling place. The truth of the matter is, if if we really want to try to derive an English equivalent in our modern understanding, it would be, I suppose the best word that we could use would be a dwelling place or a place for you to live Could it be a a large house like a mansion? I suppose it could, but it might be an apartment or a flat as well, right? We we don't, it's not so much about the size of the space as much as it is about the idea that Jesus has reserved a place for us by faith as as a promise, as a guarantee of our inheritance through faith in him. And that's the point of what he's teaching here. And so as we study this passage today, we're going to see this, this glimpse, this shadow of things which are to come in heaven. So much of the time, when you hear someone preach or teach from John 14, it's used in settings where we're talking about death. In fact, I have even used John chapter 14. I think it's a, a rich text that, that is a great text to use in a, in a funeral sermon or to bring comfort in those moments of, of grieving and loss because it is pointing us toward the guarantee of our hope in Jesus. It is pointing us toward the fulfillment of the promise of all that God has for us. But let us be sure, this is not just a text for us to consider when we're thinking about passing from this life into eternity. This is not just a text that is meant to teach us about things to come in heaven. Rather, it's a passage about the promise of God which will carry us, which will be with us as we dwell here and now in this moment, in this life, in this age where we live. This isn't just a promise about the future. It's full of promises for us 
for today that Jesus gives to his disciples. We know, as we looked at last week, that Jesus has said to his disciples that I'm getting ready to go to a place that you can't go. Of course, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about making a way for salvation. He was about to do for the disciples and for everyone who would come to him in faith what, what we could never hope to do for ourselves. And the disciples were troubled by this. Jesus, we want to go with you. Peter even says, Jesus, tell us the way. I'll go with you. I will lay down my life. And Jesus responds, Peter, before this night is over, you will deny me three times. In the passage that we'll look at today in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going and I'm going to make a way for you. And you'll know the way. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. Show us the way, Jesus. Again, they, they want to follow him. They want to be faithful and true. And yet Jesus is telling them, I'm about to take the cup that you can't drink. I'm about to do what you can't do. I'm about to go down a path that you can't walk so that I might do this for you. So let's look at this passage together. Let's understand that what's happening here is Jesus is giving the disciples these words in his last moments with them, in his last hours. And yes, he is, let's be, let's be clear, he is making some, some very pointed and very, very assuring promises of things which are to come. But he's also giving them these words, these promises, so that they might live in faith, in, in the moment, in the here, in the now as well, as they fulfill all that he has for them. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, if we study this, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. You, you study this entire passage. And this is the central instruction. This is the central command that Jesus gives. Everything else that he is going to tell his disciples, all of the rest of it about the, about the dwelling place and the promises and the work and the way of faith through trusting in it, all of that comes back to this central instruction. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the where, where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
when we look at this passage, we see, I think, seven things specifically that Jesus is promising to his disciples that he will give to them if they would believe in him. Seven things that I, that I want to point out that, that he gives us when we believe in him by faith. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He goes on to explain more fully that anyone who believes in God believes in me. Anyone who believes in me has seen the Father and thus believes in God the Father. Believe in the Father. Believe me, he says, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works. Jesus says, look, you can take me at my word or you can, you can trust me by the testimony of my works. In either way, believe in these things. So as we believe in God, as we believe in God through the person, the work of Jesus, by the agency of the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, here are seven different things that Jesus gives to us. The first one is peace. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us peace. The very first words out of his mouth in this passage, let not your heart be troubled. The disciples' hearts were troubled because of what Jesus had just shared with them. I'm going to go away. I'm going to a place and you can't go with me. This very night, one of you will betray me. The disciples, of course, are troubled. How could it be? Jesus, who will, who will betray you? How could it be? That, don't, don't send us away, Jesus. We will follow you just as we promised. We will follow you to the end. Even if it means our lives, we will follow you. And yet Jesus is telling them, don't be troubled by these words. The truth is that in, in many ways, much of the time in our lives, following Jesus by faith means that we are walking into the unknown, the, the unaccounted for. When we follow Jesus by faith, we, we walk a path that is dimly lit for us. I've described it many, many times this way, that it's, it's like driving at night when we follow Jesus. We can't see everything that's happening around us. We can only see what the light illuminates immediately in front of us. And yet that is enough for us to travel that far forward. And as we travel that far, then, then the light that God gives us shines a little further and we see a little more. And the, and the way forward is, is simply in following the path that Jesus has laid out by, by stepping into the light, so to speak, as we follow the way that he illuminates for us. But if we're being honest, much of the time, it's really troubling because we don't know what lies in store, because we don't know what lies down the road for us, because we can't see everything that tomorrow holds. And so much of the time we're, we're anxious. There's, there, there's trouble in our hearts. What's more, sometimes we do get a glimpse of what's coming. Sometimes we are able to see what the Lord has and what lies in store. And even that brings anxiety because we see what the future holds and it might be full of Trials. It might be full of trouble. It might be full of tests that we have to face along the way. And yet Jesus is saying to us, don't be troubled by these things. Instead, dwell in, live in the fullness of my peace. When we trust in Jesus, he gives us peace. You know, the, I, I suppose the most familiar words of all to us when we think about this is when we think of, the words that David wrote in the 23rd Psalm. 
though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We, we, many times life feels like this valley of the shadow of death. And yet, it's not a promise that the Lord will keep us from the valley of the shadow of death. Yet it's a promise that as we walk through the valley, we're never alone. It's not a promise that God will, will miraculously just carry us from mountaintop to mountaintop and, and, and that following him, we will avoid all of the trials and all the troubles of life. Instead, it's a promise that even in the midst of those trials and those troubles, we will never be alone. Jesus is with us. He gives us peace. Why do we have peace? How is it that we have the, the peace that passes all understanding the way that it's described elsewhere in the New Testament by Paul? The reason we know that peace that passes understanding is because it's a product of God's presence in our lives. It's a product of, of his presence. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. The second thing that Jesus gives us is people. If you look at this passage, I want you to notice the word you and the number of times that you see the word you in this text. Your hearts, he, he says, I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Again and again, we see the word you. What, we, what, what is lost a little bit in the translation is that in the original language, each occurrence of the word you is not the second person singular, but the second person, plural. So in Oklahoma, we would say y'all, right? That's what we would say. We, we, that's, how we make the word, that's how we make the word plural around here. It's y'all. Y'all know the way where I'm going. Y'all know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna prepare a place for y'all. This isn't just a promise to the individual. This is a promise to those who follow because when we follow Jesus, we are not in this life alone. We are in this together. We are united first with Christ through faith in him, but also then with his body. We are a part of the body of Christ, the church and, and as a part of that body, when we go through life, we go through it together. We are not alone. We're together in this. And so as we go through life, as we go through the trials, as we face the, the unknown, as we walk through the difficult moments in life, we're never alone. Why? Because, first of all, because we have Jesus, and that's enough. But even more, he gives us each other so that we, we, we have people we have people around us. There's a group. You have, you have a church family. You have people that you can lean on, people that you can trust, people that you can rely on, people that you can, that you can journey through life together that can run beside you in this, this, this race, this marathon that we're on through life together. We have people because Jesus has promised us that he will not leave us alone. And so we have peace. We have people. We have a place. We have a place. He says pointedly, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to go make your place ready. Jesus is saving you a place in the house of God, in the dwelling place of God. And, and 
Sometimes we read that, or at least we've been conditioned perhaps to read that and think about what's in it for us someday. There's going to be a mansion for me in glory. And we sing songs about that. And it's, you know, in some way it's become a part of our, of our Christian subculture lore, right, in, in many ways. This isn't about what's waiting for you on the other side as much as it is about the one who is making it ready for you. That here's the point. You get to be where Jesus is. And whether it is, whether it is a mansion in glory or, or, or whether it is a carport in, in the house of God, I promise you it's enough because wherever it is, Jesus himself is there. And he's gone there ahead of you to make a way for you so that where he is, someday by faith, you and I also, we get to be. And that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. Could it be that, I believe that, listen, here's what I really believe when I think about heaven and what lies in store for us. And and some of this is based on my understanding of the New Testament and some of it is just the dream in my heart. I'll confess that to you. But I I think that whatever waits for us on the other side of of heaven in, in glory, whatever waits for us in the new heaven and the new earth that will be ours someday when God literally brings heaven down to earth the way that he promises in the final chapters of Revelation, it will be better than even what we could possibly dream. Whatever words I might use to describe it, whatever picture I might try to paint, I will tell you it's not good enough because it's better even than that. But whether it is, whether it is uh, you know, a, a small little place or whether it is a vast mansion in glory, it doesn't matter because the point is Jesus is there. And wherever he is, is where my heart longs to be, where our hearts ought to long to be, because he is enough. The the treasure of heaven is not the mansion that waits for you, but the one who prepared a place for you. And the point of what Jesus is saying isn't just about what lies in store someday, but it's a promise for today. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, don't be worried about what you're going to face in this life. Don't be troubled. Have peace. You have each other. You also have a place. Listen, your spot is guaranteed. I'm reserving you a place. Don't worry about all the things that might happen between now and then, but trust in this, that I'm going before you to make a place so that where I am, you may be also. Your place is secure by faith in Jesus. Fourth, he gives us this. He gives us his presence. And there are, there, there are seven uh, points. You see that in your notes, seven blanks that you're going to fill in. And this point is the center point. It's the middle point. And of all these points, I would say this as much as anything is the hinge. This is it. Everything else swings on this central truth. That the fullness of reward that, that lies in store for us is the presence of God. How can we have peace? How can we take heart and lean on each other and, 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 and help and encourage one, one another? Why is that promise of a place so comforting? Because of the presence of God. Because the presence of God is enough. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul writes a promise to the church at Philippi. He tells them to keep doing the things that they've seen, that they've heard, that they've, that they've witnessed in his life. He tells them to practice those things even. And he says this, that the God of peace will be with you. 
See, it would be enough for us if the peace of God would be with us. It would be enough if God would send his peace to us. But the promise is so much better. God does not just give us his peace as though his peace exists somehow separate from who he is. God gives us himself. He gives us his presence. And wherever the presence of God is, the peace of God reigns. So God gives us his presence to dwell with us, to dwell in us, to rest upon us so that wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we face, whatever life throws our way, we have the presence of God with us. And someday when this life is over, whether it be through death or through the second coming of Jesus, someday when our time on this life is over as we know it, then we get to experience the presence of God in an even richer, in an even better way because no longer will we just know him through the work of his spirit, but we will see him face to face. And in that day, we will experience the fullness of God's promise in a way that we can only imagine, in a way that we can only dream about, in a way that we can only, that, that we can only think of now, but someday it will be our reality. He gives us his presence. He says to his disciples here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No doubt you've heard that before. You've heard that preached before. I've preached that before. Others have preached that. That passage will preach as well as anything in the Bible. This is a central, this is a core truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But this is what you need to hear when he says those words. Jesus isn't just talking about giving you some, some truth as though it were a concept somehow separate from himself. He's not just talking about showing you a way as though it were a plan somehow divorced from his presence. He's not just talking about life as though it were an emotion or a feeling that somehow we experience apart from the work of Jesus all of these things are available. All of these things are possible through Jesus himself, his presence with us, his presence residing in us through the work of the Holy Spirit, his presence as the promise of things which are to come for us someday in the place that he's prepared for us. It's all about the presence of Jesus. How do we know the way, Jesus? Have I been with you so long and still you don't know? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, look, guys, have we been through so much and you've missed it? It's me. I and the Father in one. This is all about me. The point of all of this, the goal of all this, the prize waiting for you in all of this is me. And so we have his presence with us. We know him. We have seen him. For us, literally by eyes of faith, but for the disciples, physically with their own eyes. We know him. We have seen him. We've experienced his work. And because we have experienced his work in our lives, we can know that these other promises are true and secure. Let's keep going. Seven-point sermon. i got to keep moving to get through them, all right, or, or else the Methodists will beat us to lunch today. And they can't do that on my birthday. Sixth, he gives us, excuse me, fifth, he gives us his power, his power. He says, the father who dwells in me does his works. 
The Father does these works. The Father who's in me will do these works. And then he says, and greater works than these you will do. How is it that we can do even greater works than Jesus himself has done? Through his power alive in us. This doesn't mean that you and I become superhuman. We don't, we don't trust in Jesus and now we can stop a speeding bullet and leap tall buildings in a single bound. No, but by faith in him, we can do the very work of God. By faith in Jesus, we experience his power alive in us so that now we have in us the same power. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter two. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's alive in you by the Holy Spirit. The power of God to bring life from death now reigns in your heart by faith. There is a power when we believe in Jesus. The power of God comes alive in us. And greater works even than these, Jesus says, you will do. Not only do we have his power in us, we have his promises to lead us, to carry us. He tells us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, he says in verse 14, I will do it. These are promises from Jesus himself, promises that anything we ask in his name. Now, again, it would be so easy for us to distort this, to twist this, to try to manipulate this in some way. This does not mean that you can ask literally whatever you want and all you have to do at the end is just say those magical words we've all said, in Jesus' name, amen. And now it's gonna happen, right? That's not what it means. That's a distortion of this. No, to ask in his name means that you ask according to his will. It means that you ask in order that the work of the Father would be done. Go to 1 John chapter 5 and look in verse 16 and verse 17 where, where John writes again about these very same ideas. And he tells us that if we ask in the name of Jesus, anything that we ask he will do through his power at work in us so that his testimony might shine through us, he will do even greater works than these. But it's not, a, it's not a guarantee that our wildest dreams might come true. Instead, it's the promise of God that his power can accomplish anything. And so let's not dream small. Let's not think so little. Let's not be so confined by the box of what we know and our past experiences. Jesus says it elsewhere in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew chapter 7. He says it quite plainly. He says, guys, I'm telling you the truth. You have not because you ask not. The reason you don't have is because you haven't asked. Ask that it may be done. If we would ask in his name, if we would ask according to his will, if we would seek his work in our lives, he promises us he will do it. That's not a promise that it will look exactly like what you asked. Because sometimes when God does the work we ask for, he does it differently than how we asked him to do it. And that's okay too, isn't it? Because the truth is, he's never disappointed us. He's never not come through on his promise. He's never failed to accomplish that which he said he would do. Doesn't always look the way we want, doesn't always mean that, that, that we will like it, frankly. But God is good, and his ways are true, and he can be trusted, and his promises are real.
for those who trust him by faith, who call on his name. Ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then finally, we see this. He, he gives us his purpose. He gives us his purpose that the Father may be glorified in the Son, he says in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So that in all of this, God would be exalted. God would be glorified. So that in your life, as you experience his peace, as you rally to his people, as you as you believe in the promise of the place, as you experience the fullness of his presence, as you do the mighty works of God filled with his power, as you trust in those promises, you might experience his purpose alive in you. And what is the purpose of God? That he would be glorified, that he would be exalted, that he would be lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he told his disciples in chapter 12, he will draw all men unto himself. When we believe in him by faith. Now here's the question that I want you to think of. If it's true, and I believe it heart and soul, if it's true that when we believe in Jesus, he gives us these seven things. In your life today, which one of these do you need? Which one of these resonates the loudest with you as you hear me talk about these seven things today? Is it the peace of God? Is, the, is it the, the people of God knowing that you're not alone? Is it the place that he has secured for you? Is it the presence of God dwelling with you? Is it his power alive in you, his promises to sustain you, his, his purpose driving you, leading you? Which of these resonates with your heart today? You know what the beautiful truth is? By faith in Jesus, you don't have to choose one. By faith in him, you don't have to just look at the list and say, well, God, can I, can I have, could I get someone number one and maybe a little number four and how about some number seven? By faith in Jesus, every one of these is true for your life. You have them all. Not only do you have them all, you have them richly in Jesus if you would trust in him. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response. And the response, the invitation as we like to call it, is all about this moment of truth, this moment where the rubber meets the road, this moment where we say, all right, in light of this truth, so now what? Maybe you're here today and this is the word you need to hear. I believe that for someone in the room today, this is the word you need to hear. Because in many ways, you feel like an outsider looking in. And you, 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 you see these things, you hear me preach, you see it in the, and you think it's too good to be true. Can I tell you something? It is too good. It is too good. I'm amazed by it myself. 35 years later now, you can do the math, I was six when I came to Jesus. 35 years later, it's still too good to be true in my life. But it's real. Not because of my word. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Jesus. Don't just take his word. Look at the works that he's done. Look at the testimony of his life. Look at the, look at the works themselves. It's real. And it's glorious. 
And it's ours by faith in him. And if today, if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, can I, can I beg you on behalf of Jesus that, that you would trust in him today, surrender your life to him, receive by faith these promises of God. Let them be real in your life. Let his presence come to dwell in you richly by faith so that you might experience the fullness of all that he has for you as you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Your sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Trust in him today. For some of us, we hear this, and maybe it's one or two or the other that really resonate with our hearts. And what I want you to hear today is that whatever you need, Jesus has already provided. Your place is secure. He's given you people. Your heart can know peace. His presence will dwell with you. His power alive in you, his promise to sustain you, his purpose to drive you, to wake you up and get you moving. Would you trust in him today? And would you receive the fullness of all that Jesus has? He is the way, the truth, the life. Let us come to him in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that all of these are, are, are true because of Jesus. And not only are they true, they're ours by faith as we trust in you. I pray today, Lord, that you, would, that you would be alive in our hearts, that we might experience the fullness of all that you have, that you would dwell in us, and that you would shine through us, that our lives might radiate your glory for the world to see. Use us, God. Stir in us. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you by faith, may today be the day that they surrender their life to you. Today be the day that they trust you. Today the day that they receive the fullness of all that you have as they place their faith and their hope in you. Jesus, move in us. We acknowledge you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. So we come to you today, Jesus. In your great name we pray. Amen.